This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, we sit down with Noah to talk about strengths and weaknesses in leadership. Noah helps us understand how humility is a key to creating an empowering leadership culture. Let's get started. No, one of the things that I've wrestled with as a young leader is the assessment process of just figuring out what am I good at, what are my strengths, and then what am I not good at, what are my weaknesses. First, just talk to us about why it's important for a leader to be self-aware, to know what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. Well, first and foremost, I think every young leader has got to realize that they do have strengths and weaknesses. God has made them with natural abilities and that he's equipped them with supernatural abilities, spiritual gifts that he's put in them at new birth. And it's his job, I believe, according to scripture, according to the words of Jesus, to take those and steward those. Often they they take a lot of developing of those things, exercising those things. So a guy gets saved at 17 like me, and you can already see these, these natural gifts interacting with these supernatural gifts. It doesn't mean I'm ready to use any of them. Uh, There's a lot of work that's got to be done, but I think recognizing you do have gifts. God has specially equipped you to lead and to serve in His church for His kingdom purposes. But the second thing, on the other hand, the guys can fall into is you do have weaknesses as well. In Ephesians 4, it says that God gave a diversity of leadership gifts and leaders to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He didn't say He gave any one person those gifts besides the Lord Jesus. Jesus was the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to make us like Jesus, we're going to have a manifestation of all of those types of gifts within us. But I believe that that one or two of those are going to come to the surface. And when we identify those or others help us identify those, it's beginning to say, okay, how do I work within that? How do I become the best at these gifts that God has given me so I can steward them for His glory and ultimately for my joy as well? So I can feel like I'm not beating my head up against the wall every day trying to be all things to all people. But then you're able to realize, here are my weaknesses. Here are the areas that God hasn't equipped me. I don't even know that they're weaknesses because we're not meant to have those gifts. How has God not equipped me? And he wants to equip me by giving me other people in my life. So when it comes to young leaders, and whether they're starting a church or whether they're the youth pastor at a church, um, most of the time when we start off in leadership, we don't have a huge staff around us. We don't have... Um, all of these people who are paid to more or less fill in the gaps of where we have a weakness. Um, And I think one of the tensions I've felt as a young leader is you read these books by guys who have been the CEO of a company or the senior pastor of a church for 20 or 30 years at this point. And so, of course, they can delegate because they need to hire somebody to do something. Um, when When it starts to dawn on you that you have a weakness, let's say as a church planter, um, if you're not administratively gifted, but you're great at you know drumming up business and you're great at going out and casting vision and meeting with people, and mm-hmm. um, what do you do in order to raise somebody up to help you where you are weak? I believe the biblical model of church, from beginning to end of of Acts to Revelation, I believe what God gives us is 
a multiplicity of leaders. I believe when Paul went out on his missionary journeys, he always had people with him on purpose. God said, there's gifts that you have, gifts I've not given you, except the gift of another person. So I think when anybody is a leader, they need to look at themselves, what are my gifts, and then look at the areas where they lack gifts, and say, I need people. If I, I don't need to just go read another book. Mm-hmm. I need to grab people around me that are going to fill in these gaps. So for instance, when a guy goes through a church planning, sit down with me, he says, I feel like I'm called to plant a church, I will take two questions with me, two assessments. One is called the APEST assessment. Alan Hirsch talks about this in The Forgotten Ways. He's got a website, got a book based around that concept. And I walk them through to figure out what their primary gifts are in that Ephesians 4 scale, evangelist, or apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. The second one is this concept of triperspectivalism. It's a fancy way of saying Jesus was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And leaders tend to have one to two of those that they really uh, excel in and one that they just struggle in. For instance, I'm more of a prophet king. A lot of church planters are priest prophets. They're great with people and they love to communicate, but they're horrible administrators. And so when you look at those two assessments, you see that the areas that you're less gifted, the immediate thing I tell a guy after that is you need to find people that can do these things alongside you. Mm-hmm. Not that just they can do them for you because you're not going to be able to pay somebody right away. You need to find people who will plant this church with you who are going to do these things alongside you. And so when a church planner can find an administrator or an administrative person, maybe they're married to one, oh man, it's just a game changer. Uh, but I think that that's one of the reasons that guys should always try to plant as a team. Not necessarily co-planting or already having elders in place before you launch, but to have a multiplicity of leaders with diverse gifts so you can run in the lane of your gifts and you can equip the saints for the work of ministry in those other areas of gifting and the whole work of the church gets done. That's good. So first of all, then, it's okay to have weaknesses. It's okay to not be gifted in certain areas. How would you suggest to a young leader that they begin identifying what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are? Yeah, so I think those are two tools. So the APEST tool, you can get online, it's a small nominal fee. Um, You can Google triperspectivalism and there's a great chart that somebody put together that shows areas of strength and weakness. You figure out kind of where you're at. A lot of times people will look at tools like Myers-Briggs and nowadays people are looking at the Enneagram and I think all of those have their they have their uh, their limits. They have their positive sides, but they also have their limits. I think the number one thing uh, you can do is is begin to look at the passions God's put in your heart. So what has God put in your soul? Because because Scripture tells us again and again, if we seek first His will, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He's going to direct our paths. He's going to give us the desire of our hearts. I believe He puts dreams in our hearts for a reason. They're things He wants us to grow and wants us to pursue. But the way we check that is by being in biblical community with honest relationships where people can also speak those things into us. So if I talk to a young guy and he says, I feel like I'm called to be a preacher, a church planter. The next question I'll say is, I'll ask him is, who else has affirmed this in your life? If it's nobody, he's got a lot of work to do to find somebody that will affirm and confirm that call in his life. But if he can rattle off three or four names, I may be able to have a conversation with one of them and they say, oh, absolutely, here's evidence. And that's a great sign. And then once you get, take a guy through an assessment, we're going to see more of that. I think that's the beginning process. What has God put in my soul that I have to do? You know, it's, it's that, that fire shut up in your bones. You can't hold it in. You're weary from doing that. When, when that's in there like that, man, you've got to let it out. And I believe that's the way God really gifts leaders. So then in general, when you have this passion and 
in your case, let's say it's to preach, yeah. um, or it's to lead, or it's to start a ministry, or it's to whatever it might be. Um, okay, so I have that passion, but you also said just because you have this gift doesn't mean it's ready to be used yet. Yeah. What are some suggestions you would give to a young leader about developing the gifts and the maturity that he needs um, in order to step into the passion that God has placed in his heart? Yeah, one of the things that I swear by is this concept of you have to learn to follow before you can learn to lead. There's a great book called A Tale of Three Kings. I think mm-hmm. every young guy should read it. Every guy that's been in a formal internship process at August Gate, we recommend that book. I hand it to young guys so I just see a lot of pride in. Hey, read this book. It'll help you immensely because it helped me. It's one of the first books that somebody gave me in an unofficial internship at my first church after I was saved. He saw potential in me and he gave me three books. Passion for Jesus, um, Pursuit of God, and A Tale of Three Kings. And I realized why he did. He wanted me to love Jesus with all my heart, chase after him with all my soul, but learn from him. Mm-hmm. To become, come to him and become humble. And I think a guy needs to begin there. So he needs to, he needs to say, okay, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I need to find somebody in my life that believes in me but is not impressed with me. Every future, every current leader needs people in their lives that love them and believe in them but aren't impressed with them. So they're going to call them on their junk, that they're going to be able to give them a little punch in the mouth every once in a while and they'll take it and they'll receive it as a wound from a friend, which is better than a kiss from an enemy, so that they are able to grow. Um, so developing humility, finding those people in your life that will yeah. speak truth When to I you. was in college, I, um, my, my pastor in college, I was talking about this ministry that we had going on at the church and how I could see where it needed to go. And I had a lot of vision and we, en- we ended up doing it and it worked and it was great. Um, but after our conversation, he said, you know, there's a book that I think you should read. Um, I'm going to buy it for you and I'll give it to you. And at the time I thought, that's so great. You know, he sees all this potential in me and he wants to give me this book. And it was the book, A Tale of Three Kings. Yeah. And after I read it, I was like, oh, he was giving me this book because even though I do have this passion and what at the time I didn't know to call vision for the way that something could be going, it was this pastor's way of saying to me, your heart isn't ready yet. Yeah. Um, And that is a humbling thing. And that's something that you have to do in community. Um, And it's something that you have to be willing to receive. Yeah. Once then you begin to say, okay, I do need to learn how to follow before I can lead. I do need to have the humility um, that Christ has in order for me to step into this calling. Then from there, what are some things that somebody could do to begin developing? We look at most of the great leaders in Scripture. They had years, if not decades, of no popularity, of obscurity even, of serving, of preparing, of developing in ways that none of us who have an itch for leadership or passion to be used by God really desire to. And the Apostle Paul has this great call spoken over his life, and then he's almost killed, and then he's sent off by people who thought was going to embrace him. And he's on the backside of Asia Minor. We don't even know where he's at exactly for all those years developing. And then he becomes what we know as the Apostle Paul. Barnabas comes and finds him. You have Moses, who developed for decades. You have even Jesus himself, who didn't start ministry out of the womb or as a 12-year-old boy in the temple when he was schooling people. But, but God had 
times of preparation for, for, for all these leaders. And I think he has that in every one of our lives. And we need to not glamorize it. We, I would say do the opposite. Find the, the simplest, most obscure way that you can begin to serve in a need in your church. Go to a leader and say, I want to be a leader one day. And I realize the greatest way for me to be a leader is to be a servant of all. How can I serve this church in ways that no one else wants to? Dude, if somebody came to me like that, a young leader, I'd put him to work with that and I'd watch him and he would quickly get promotions. I'd watch him be faithful in those small things of cleaning up, dusting around the building, picking up trash, getting his eye on stuff, being the go-to guy for toilet clogs on Sunday. And next thing you know, he's got a fast track to other things because if he can serve in those ways without accolades, I can trust him with a title. I can trust him with a little bit of authority. But a guy that comes to me and doesn't seem to be a servant at all, but says he wants a title position, man, there's always these warning signals that go off in my spirit. I'm just like, ah, I don't know. We got to watch this guy. And it's because I know myself. Mm-hmm. I know that those situations of pride come up and I want to be served. I don't want to serve. But what God does is he gets us ready by serving. What should it look like for a planter then to quickly be able to empower people And at the same time, how does the planter walk through this this season before he's ready to entrust people? Does that make sense? It does. I think God is putting things in our lives all the time. And I don't think relationships are for happenstance. Even driving here today to record this podcast, I thought about the different guys that have been on the podcast are going to be on the podcast. And many of them, the relationships began years and years ago. And to see where God brought us to where we're planting churches together in St. Louis. At first, it's like, oh my gosh, what a crazy story. But then you realize, no, 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 it's not that crazy. God knew the beginning from the end, and He was able to put the pieces in place so that we would end up where we ended up. And so I think, all that to say, if you begin now as a young leader, not knowing what God's going to do one day, but you view every relationship God puts in your life as an opportunity for discipleship, for you to grow as a disciple, for them to grow as a disciple, for... God has said, I want you together for a season of life to sharpen one another for my kingdom purposes. If you take advantage of that, you don't just make it hangout time. You don't just make it about the weather and about things that are unimportant. But you make it about kingdom stuff and and growth together. Then years down the road, all of a sudden, you're looking for people you can trust. You have a train of people from years and years of your life that you have done life with. You've had real conversations. You've had honest accountability with. You can trust them to walk alongside you. And you begin to call on them. And as you call on them, there's already built, built trust. And so you have other people around you. And then as you bring new people into those relationships, you're all together doing the work of vision casting. The earliest, the most important gift the church planner can have, and we're going to do a whole series of podcasts on this one subject, but it's vision casting. The ability to cast a compelling vision is a non-negotiable for a pastor and a church planter. Everything you do comes down to vision casting. And so when you're sitting down with people and you're raising up leaders, you have to be able to cast a compelling vision to them that this thing that's in your soul, it's in your bones, gets into theirs. And as you do that and you walk alongside them and begin to delegate smaller pieces of responsibility to them, and you're breathing vision into them at the same time, when you begin to watch them and see that vision pour out of them, you know that they're ready. When they can say the things in honesty and sincerity that you would say about the way the church functions in this way or the necessity behind it, the mission, the vision, the strategy behind it, you know that they're ready. And that comes through relationship, that comes through intentionality. It comes through a culture of mentoring and discipleship. Man, if you can do something and bring someone along with you, 
why not bring somebody along with you? That's what Jesus did. Jesus always had people with him. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He always had people in his entourage because he was training people. He was doing what he told Timothy to do. Take what I have given to you and hand it off to faithful men who can, who can do it also. It's always this process of pouring in for the next generation, not this next generation of life, the next generation of ministry even in your own church. Things that you're doing today, some of them you don't need to do next year. And so you have to begin to bring people alongside, hand it off to them. And often you'll find people will do it better than you, but now they have the vision behind it. So to wrap up here, how would you suggest now if somebody's heard this and they've, they're like, okay, I, I need to work on my humility. Maybe I need to learn how to follow. Um, and I want to bring people along with me. I want to view every, every conversation as a discipling conversation. Um, what's a great practical next step to get started on? How can I make my next interaction, my next conversation, a, a discipleship conversation? Well, first of all, if it's a potential leader, I'd say go tell your pastors. And, and pastors, I mean that, that title loosely. I mean in all the forms of the word. Go tell your lead pastor of your church. Go tell the community pastor you're connected with. Go tell the youth pastor if you're a student. Go tell your small group leader if you're in a small group. Let the people that have a responsibility and authority in your life know your desire so they can walk alongside with you because they often see things a little bit clearer than you see. You've got all this passion and adrenaline and hype built up in your heart. They're going to be able to filter through some of that and get down to where you really need to grow. So letting people in on that process is super important. Um, but then making every conversation, every situation a discipleship opportunity is growing in a little bit of seriousness. I think a lot of young men need this as well. It's real easy for us to get together and prank each other and be sarcastic. Um, I think we do that by default because we don't know how to be serious. Serious in a fun way, though. Not, not all of a sudden we, we become domesticated and we're not wild for Christ anymore. I think it's becoming serious about who God's called us to be and the urgency that for which He's called us into His kingdom work. We begin to view that differently. We stop sitting around and, and playing games all the time. We, sit, we stop sitting around and just watching sports and, and um, being silly. We begin to say, how does God want us to develop now? What battles does God want us to engage with now? What war has He called us to truly fight? How do we begin to do that? And so I would say, let your leaders know and then let your peers know. Hey guys, it's time for me and my life to go to the next level. And I think that our relationship should grow in that way. Let's make a commitment when we get together to talk about the Lord, to pray for one another, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. I believe if you make that stuff known, it'll happen. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10.2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit sendstl.com.